I think, I think that many of you already have your Bibles open in 2 Corinthians 5. I have to go ahead and open up mine because I left it up here. Um, for, the, for the younger kids, if you are uh, keeping track of how many times words are spoken so that you can uh, be good listeners, maybe exchange that for a piece of candy. My wife, uh, most in the front row, has some candy. Um, the word today is pleading, to plead, to beg, to earnestly implore. The word is pleading, and that is for the younger kids. Older kids, I'd love to see you be taking notes. I am uh, blessed this morning to uh, um, participate in Pastor Joshua's series on, gos- on gospel culture. I've been thinking about that phrase, gospel culture, and trying, and trying to get my mind around it. Culture is pretty simple, right? Like culture, well, it's just the way that we do things, right? We don't even think about culture um, until you, you, you interact with another culture. And all of a sudden, you realize, oh, well, they do things differently, and that's just the way that they do things. And so you find yourself starting to think about culture when you interact with other cultures. Well, by God's grace, when we are saved, when we believe the gospel, when we hear the good news of Jesus Christ and put our hope in that good news, we get a new culture. But that new culture takes time for us to learn how to live out and how to embrace and how to make that way of living ours. So in this series that Pastor Joshua has been leading us through, we've been thinking about how the gospel changes us. And we've talked about how the gospel makes us needy, that we have a culture of neediness and that we are okay with our neediness, that we understand we are people who are always going to be needing a Savior, Jesus Christ, that we're never going to stop needing Jesus. We've learned that we have a culture that should be hopeful, that God is changing us, and that we serve a God who changes people. We have a culture that is confident, that we are not afraid of being judged, that we don't have to be afraid of being exposed, because we have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave us his own righteousness. As Pastor uh, Huey, our brother Huey, just shared, that we have a culture of uh, using our gifts, that we have a ministering culture, because God has gifted each of you in Jesus Christ to be using your gifts in one another's lives. And last week, Pastor Joshua talked about how we should have a family culture. We do have a family culture. We sometimes need to learn how to live as brothers and sisters with one another, but God is our Father. Father, Jesus Christ is our, is our chief brother who loved us and gave himself for us, and that has brought us as adopting, uh, being adopted into his family of brothers and sisters. Today, we're going to look at how the gospel should make us as a, a church culture of pleading, a begging culture, not, not, not necessarily begging from one another, but begging one another, pleading one another inside the church, but also outside the church with those who don't yet know Jesus Christ. We should be pleading with sinners to be reconciled to God. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20 says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, We implore you, we beg you, we plead with you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Has believing the gospel transformed the culture of Cornerstone Bible Church so that we have become a church that pleads with sinners to be reconciled to God? Is that our culture? Are you, have you been transformed so that you are someone who pleads with sinners to be reconciled to God. Now, there may be many reasons 
you may not be pleading with sinners to be reconciled to God. If you look at yourself and you say, well, no, that culture has, I'm, I'm not part of that culture yet. It may be, and there may be lots of reasons. It may be because you don't feel like you understand the gospel well enough to share it with someone. If you believe the gospel, if you are saved, you understand it well enough to share it. I'm just going to say that there. It doesn't mean we can't become better at sharing it. But if you understand it well enough to be saved, you understand it well enough to share it. Or maybe it's because, and this may be true, that you're living kind of a, 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 a hypocritical life that you feel would discredit the gospel. You haven't really been, been living it out in your life, so maybe you're kind of shy and, and sharing, maybe shy and calling someone to be reconciled to God if you really haven't been living a life that is reconciled with God. So you're kind of keeping that part of your, your, your life hidden. Or maybe you don't plead with sinners to be reconciled to God because maybe you've already pleaded with everyone you know. Right? You, you, you can think about your, your family that doesn't know the Lord and your neighbors and your co-workers. And you're like, I've already pled with all these people. And so you, you have a different challenge of saying, who is God going to bring new into my life so I can plead with them too? Maybe you don't plead with sinners to be reconciled to God because everyone you know has already been reconciled to God. And, 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 and that may be, for some of you, the, the pandemic has kind of shrunk your world and you're working from home. Um, maybe you are homeschooling and you know your children may not know yet the Lord, may not yet be reconciled to God, but you spent a lot of time pleading with them and, and the other people you see are already saved. Again, time to widen our circles. And it may be that you're not convinced that it's your job to call people to, to be disciples. Now, I think that we have a hard time with that after listening to Pastor Joshua the last seven months, and we know 10 months, time flies, however long it's been, we know that it's all of our job to be making disciples. That is the job that Jesus gave us. We know that, but sometimes we're like, you, you know, like, 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 can't we pay a professional to do that? Can't we get someone who's really gifted at sharing the gospel? Wouldn't they be someone better to send with this message of, of, of reconciliation? So there may be a lot of reasons why you look at yourself and say, this is why I'm not pleading with sinners to be reconciled to God. Now, maybe you have been, but maybe some of you haven't been. I think a lot of times, though, we're slow to plead with sinners to be reconciled to God because we fear how that plea might be received, right? We fear how that plea might be received. If every time we shared the gospel, if every time we called a sinner to be reconciled to God, that plea was received with, with, with this eye-opening, eye-popping, this is the best news I've ever heard. If people responded with belief, with repentance, then pleading might become part of your culture. You'd be like, well, this is amazing. I'm going to go and tell someone else. Or maybe you'd be okay if, you know, no, 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 that isn't for me. Um, but, but if it didn't get awkward afterwards, and I think probably many of us have experienced that. We share the gospel with someone, the good news that we can be reconciled to God, and things get kind of awkward afterwards. 
Imagine if that person that you pled with didn't reject you, which sometimes happens, if they didn't avoid you, which sometimes happens, if they didn't just, just kind of dis, 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 dismiss you as a religious wacko. Maybe we place a higher value on other cultural norms, right? Not of the gospel culture, but of cultural norms, of what our, what our, our culture values, of people's privacy, right? Like, 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 well, I don't want to, I, I don't want to bother them. Or, or, or I would hate to appear proud that I know what is true. So, and those are cultural norms now, right? People's privacy, looking humble, which means you don't know what's true unless you tell someone else that, you know, looking humble. The more concerned we are about our being accepted, the more concerned we are about our social standing, the more concerned we are about our success, the less we plead with sinners to be reconciled to God. I think that's probably true for most of us. I can't say it's true of you, but if, you're, if, if your life kind of ebbs and flows and your gospel witnessing ebbs and flows, the more concerned you are about being accepted, probably the less you're going to plead with sinners. The more concerned you are about your social standing or your peer group or your workplace, the less you'll plead with sinners. The more concerned you are about, about being received well, the less you'll plead with sinners. It's, and it's not always that we're not willing to plead. Many of us are willing to plead with, 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 with sinners about all kinds of things. We plead with them about how they should vote. We plead with them about whether they should be vaccinated or not be vaccinated. Many of us are very fine pleading about all kinds of things until it becomes about the gospel, about sinners being reconciled to God. In 2 Corinthians 5, verses 11 to 21, the Apostle Paul argues why the Corinthians shouldn't reject his apostolic ministry, his ministry as an apostle, as God's messenger, in preference for that of the more appealing, the more successful, so-called super apostles. So that's what's going on in the book of, of 2 Corinthians. Paul's pushed into an, into an awkward place. He doesn't want people to leave the true gospel, which he preached to them. So he has to defend himself as an apostle because there's these other super apostles, and, and he calls them that, these really good-looking apostles. Uh, they're not really apostles. They're false teachers, but they look good. And they're well-received, and they are well-spoken, and they're popular, and they've got some wealth, and they're, they, they are, are, are successful. So Paul pleads with them, don't accept those super apostles because they don't have the real gospel. Instead, stick with, with me and all of my weaknesses because I brought the gospel to you. So, in, in 2 Corinthians 5, 11 to 21, and I hope all of this makes sense, Paul's main point is not really the main point we're going to be preaching, but it's really closely connected to it. Paul's main point is not calling the church in Corinth to plead with sinners to be reconciled to God. That's not his main point. His main point is not, this is a message to encourage you to evangelize. 
That's not his, 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 his main point, but we're going to see it's really closely connected to his main point. Instead, Paul wrote the Corinthians because they were in danger. They were in danger of rejecting God's messenger, the apostle Paul. They were in danger of rejecting this message of reconciliation. They were in danger of preferring these more appealing, more persuasive, more wealthy, self-designated apostles. So, in Corinth, Paul is pushed into an awkward position of defending his ministry in order to stop them from leaving via true gospel. See, in Corinth, and I'm going to give a little background here. Uh, uh, in Corinth, Paul was being, 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 being critiqued. He's criticized for his weakness, for the suffering he went through. Corinth was a, an important seaport town, and it was a boom town. The, 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 the narrative of Corinth was that you could make your fortune there. Anyone can make it in Corinth. Now, that's not totally true. There's a ton of slaves. But that was the city's vibe. It was a place where you could make it. It was a, a society built on opportunity, on advancement, a place that people took journeys to because they wanted to make it to. They heard about this great place, Corinth, and they wanted to be part of what was going on in, 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 in Corinth. Success in Corinth, money, reputation, society, they were all highly valued. So the so-called, as, as Paul refers to them, these super apostles, were taking advantage of Paul's culturally inappropriate in his shameful weaknesses, in his suffering. These things didn't, didn't sell well in Corinth. These things didn't get Instagram followers. They didn't get a bunch of likes. You would see Paul and say, um, he's not rising on any charts. He's not what we would call an a influencer in Corinth. Why would you follow Paul? So I'm going to quote a bunch of verses here to kind of build this out, and, and Lord willing, it will, all come, it, it, it will all come together. If not, we can talk about it afterwards. Okay, so here's, here's 2 Corinthians 11, verses 4 and 5. If, or if someone comes, so, so Paul says, if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one, the one, we, the one we proclaim, skip down in verse 4, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I'm not in the least inferior to these super apostles. He's like, you put up with these super apostles who are preaching a different gospel. Or 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. So these, 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 these fakes, these false teachers were charging, right? And they were proud about that. You know, like, look at Paul. He does this for, for free. Like, what's this guy doing? He's so poor. They were charging, and people were happy to pay for, really, a gospel that was less than good news. It wasn't really the gospel. It, it, it was, it was about, about promoting yourself and being popular and being liked and being approved of. So, again, in 2 Corinthians, Paul was forced to defend himself for the Corinthians' sake. It's not, it's not because he's like, oh, my feelings are hurt, right? This is like, you can't leave the real gospel, so, 2 Corinthians 1.12 is kind of his, his, his main point of the letter, or, or, or one of the main points. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, so I've got a clear conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, 
and supremely so toward you. You saw the way I ministered. It was simple. It was sincere. There was no pretense. It was by the grace of God. You know me, he's saying. You know the way I ministered to you. Paul had to explain in this letter why he didn't accept payment. And that was an intentional choice uh, 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 on his part because he knew what the culture was, was like. It says in 2 Corinthians 2.17 2, that he was not a peddler of God's word like others. He wasn't just trying to make a buck. He wanted them to know that. 2 Corinthians 4.2, Paul affirms that he had renounced, and it wasn't like uh, he'd been tempted by them, he had renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways like the false apostles used. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. We're not going to make this more, more, more tasty for you. We're, we're, we're not going to water down this message so you find it more appealing. 2 Corinthians 5.12, Paul says that he didn't boast about outward appearance. He's, he's not concerned about the externals, how people look and how handsome they are. And yet, oh yeah, and, and, uh, and, and, and uh, in 2 Corinthians 7.2, Paul says we've wronged no one. We've corrupted no one. We've taken advantage of no one. And yet the Corinthians, it says, were restricted in their affections towards Paul. Their hearts were no longer wide open to him. They weren't, they, 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 they didn't, they weren't loving Paul. They, they, they were kind of holding him at a distance because kind, of, kind of like looking at him like, is, is, is he the real thing? Because he suffers an awful lot. He really doesn't talk as well as these other guys. It doesn't look like God's blessing is upon his life. 2 Corinthians eleven nineteen to 20, Paul says, You gladly bear with fools, for you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. You love these false apostles taking advantage of you. And why? Why did they love the false apostles? Because it was kind of what they wanted. They wanted to be successful. They wanted to be approved of. They wanted to be wealthy. They wanted to look good. They wanted the American dream. They wanted the Corinthian dream. It's the same thing. The, the, the Corinthians completely misunderstood weaknesses and sufferings, and they interpret them as evidences of God's disapproval. If your life is hard, it must be that God is disappointed with you. They did not understand the weaknesses were opportunities for Christ's strength to be seen. 2 Corinthians 11.30, Paul says, If I must boast, I will boast in the things that show, that show my weakness. Like, yes, I'm weak. You guys know it. You know I'm weak. I'm going to boast in that. Why? 2 Corinthians 12.10, For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, with insults, with hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. He's saying, you guys are missing out that the weaknesses are an opportunity. Now, this is going to get tied into us being, being called to plead with others to be reconciled to God. We are going there. So, that's the next question I have. What do Paul's weaknesses have to do with our being a pleading church? Now, this is the key here. Yeah. I, I hope this makes sense. We're tempted to judge the validity of our personal gospel ministry by the same standards by which the Corinthians were tempted to judge the validity of Paul's gospel ministry. Okay? 
We're tempted to judge the validity of our gospel ministry, of our pleading with sinners to repent, by the same wrong standards that the Corinthians were judging Paul's gospel ministry. Without meaning to, we've bought into the world's ideas about what successful ministry is. When we suffer and people don't like us, we stop pleading. When we seem foolish to others, we stop pleading. When we lack success, we stop pleading. We don't plead with people because we might seem weak. We might seem foolish. Right? We basically fold up our tent like the false apostles, the super apostles wanted Paul to. Right? We buy in, and, and really what we kind of do is like, well, you know, if I was a super apostle, if I was really good at speaking, if I was really well received, if people really appreciated me, then I would continue to plead with them to repent. But, but, but I'm not. I'm kind of I'm shamed, and, and I'm not a great speaker, and I'm kind of embarrassed, and I come off as weak and, and, and vulnerable, and this is, not what my, this is not what my neighbors value. So I'm not going to plead with them. Our lack of pleading shows huge discrepancies in our gospel culture. Our lack of pleading shows huge discrepancies in our gospel culture. Our culturally driven Corinthian slash American values are different from the Apostle Paul's. So we don't plead with sinners to be reconciled to God, right? If we valued what Paul valued, we would plead with sinners to be reconciled to God. But we've traded those values lots of times without even thinking about it for Corinthian values, for the super apostle values, for American values. So this morning, in 2 Corinthians 5, 11 to 21, we're going to see six reasons to plead with sinners to be reconciled to God. We're going to see six reasons uh, to plead with sinners to be reconciled to God. And this pleading is going to be countercultural. Right? I'm asking myself, I'm asking you, because of what God's word says, to do something that is going to be countercultural. It is going to be uncomfortable. So we're going to need strong convictions that this is gospel culture. Right? We're going to have to convince ourselves that this is not an option. If we're not convinced, our culture isn't going to change. So here's the first reason. First reason, we plead because we will judge, we will be judged by Christ. The first reason, we plead because we will be judged by Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 11a begins this. Paul says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Fearing the Lord means, and, 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 and that might be a new phrase to you, fearing the Lord means living like the God of the Bible is who he says he is. It doesn't mean cowering in the corner afraid of God. That's not the fear of the Lord. It means responding to God as he requires because he's God. It means turning to him because he offers salvation in his son. That's fearing the Lord. He offers salvation and so we run to get salvation. Fearing the Lord is obeying his, his commands because he's your creator and he gives you commands. And if we fear the Lord, we're, well, he's my creator. I'm going to obey. 
fearing the Lord is, is, is using the resources he's given us the way that he wants us to. So using the time the way that he tells us to use our time. Raising our children the way he tells us to raise our children. Using money the way he instructs us to use money. This is what it means to fear the Lord. It's valuing commendation from him. We look forward to him saying, well done, good and faithful servant. All of this is part of fearing the Lord. It's having a great God who made you and say, well, how do I want to be before God? I, I want to be approved by him. Now, fearing the Lord is not sticking your fingers in your ears. It's not closing your eyes, pretending that he's not there so we can live, live independently. It's, it's not hoping he's not watching. Fearing the Lord and send is bending your ear to his word so you can receive instructions from him. What does God want me to do? And it's confessing our sins so we can receive forgiveness of him. There's forgiveness with him, so we should fear him. It's running to him and not away from him. Now, when I talk about fearing the Lord here, this doesn't mean that we're not, um, we fear the Lord because we think we may not be saved because we may not be right with God. The Apostle Paul's fear wasn't that he wasn't right with God. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1, Paul talks about his confidence, his yearning for his resurrection body. Paul knew that he was going to be resurrected to be with Christ. In verse 5, it talks about how, how God has given him the Spirit as a guarantee. Fearing the Lord didn't mean being afraid you're not saved. But this guarantee of the Spirit, this, this knowledge that he was going to be in a resurrected body, didn't, leave, didn't lead Paul to live flippantly. It didn't lead him because he knows where he's going to be to just waste his days, just, just flipping channels or scrolling on his phone. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 9 through 10, just right before verse 11 says, So whether we are at home or away, which means whether in heaven or, or on earth, we make it our aim to please him. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Are we going to be in heaven pleasing God or on earth pleasing God? Verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Paul wanted to receive commendation from God for how he spent his time in in the body, whether away and on earth or whether at home in heaven. He wanted to hear God say, good job. He was committed to make the most of God's investment of Christ's blood in purchasing his salvation. He wanted to live as transformed as possible. Having God's spirit in him, uniting him to Christ, Paul sought to have as little to be ashamed of as possible. Again, this wasn't about making himself right with God. He was confident that he'd been forgiven by God. He was confident that he was a new creature in Christ. They'd been reconciled to God. This wasn't about escaping being condemned. This is because he'd already been reconciled to God, already declared righteous, so he longed to be commended by God. So he says in verse 11, the beginning, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. So Paul knew that he was going to be appearing before the judgment seat of Christ. He knew that everyone who's riding to is going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. He knew that every person in Corinth was going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So for Paul personally, knowing that he was going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, he wanted to be counted faithful. 
He wanted to, to, to be approved of for this ministry that he'd been entrusted with, this ministry of calling sinners to be reconciled, this, this pleading ministry. But he also persuaded, he, he, he says, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. He persuaded those who had already been saved that they would evidence the reality of their, of, their, of their salvation by the presence of obedience. He's like, I know that you're going to be before Christ. I'm confident of you being saved. So as you, as you are saved, I want, I want you to receive as many rewards as possible. I want you to look forward to appearing before Christ. I don't want you to dread that because you've been living a disobedient way. I want your life to be fruitful and, 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 and flowing in fruit. He said, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But knowing the fear of the Lord also means that we're going to try to persuade those who are currently not reconciled to God. We, 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 knowing the fear of the Lord, we want them to say, you're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Will you be reconciled with him before that day? Will you turn to him and be saved? Will you put your hope only in his sacrifice on your place? Because you could die today. Right? That's the gospel. Christ came to save sinners like you. He took the place of sinners so that you can become the righteousness of God, so that you can be welcome to God. Because I know the fear of the Lord, I'm going to persuade you to be reconciled to God. Brothers and sisters, God has granted you a fear that brought you humbly to him. So what is, what is that fear doing in your life? Has that fearing, has fearing the Lord knowing that you're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, does it lead you to plead with sinners to be reconciled to God, that they might escape the same condemnation that you once deserved, and that they might look forward to the commendation that you now look forward to? Does knowing the fear of the Lord lead you to persuade others? That is one reason why we should plead. We should plead because we will be judged by Christ. And I don't mean judge like like. You're not getting in if you haven't pled with sinners. No, our only hope is Christ's righteousness in our place. But do you care about pleasing him? By the time we finish, you're going to see that pleasing God includes pleading with sinners to be reconciled to God. That's what God's about. God is about reconciliation. So that's the first reason. We, 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 we plead because we will be judged by Christ. The second reason, we plead because our hearts are sincere. We plead because our hearts are sincere. And we're going to see that that's how Paul explains why he pleads. Okay, now, remember that Paul's ministry was under attack. So Paul was forced to defend himself, but not before God, but to the Corinthians. Listen to the second half of verse 11. But what we are is known to God. I don't have to defend myself to God, but I hope it's known also to your conscience. You guys know me. You know the way I ministered. It should be so clear to your thinking who I am. The, the, the Corinthians had no reason to doubt Paul's sincerity to doubt his integrity, they should have had a healthy kind of a pride in him, should have been able to boast in their apostle, in a sense to have an ownership in their missionary who had sacrificed so much to bring them the gospel. 
Instead of being ashamed of him, they should have been able to own him. And that's where Paul goes in verse 12. We are not commending ourselves to you again. We're we're not trying to, 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 to give you letters saying, hey, my name's Paul, I'm being sent by this church here. We're, 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 not, we're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearances and not about what is in the heart. You know what's in my heart. You should be boasting about what's in my heart, not about outward appearances, but the Corinthians were being influenced by those who were boasting about outward appearances who superficially evaluated Paul's apostolic ministry. And they came up and they're like, oh, well, look at Paul. You know, he's not really well-spoken. And did you see him? You see how many times he's been beaten? Isn't he kind of weak? And yet he comes off and he tells us what to do. He doesn't sound very humble. They found Paul lacking. Paul says in verse 13, if we are besides ourselves, it's for God. If, if, we seem out, if we seem crazy to anyone, it's because our lives are devoted to God. If we are in our right mind, as you should know, Paul saying to, to the Corinthians, it is for you. So regardless of how Paul was, was being evaluated, whether, whether he was looking out of his mind, which is what the, the, the false apostles would have said about him, or if he seemed in his right mind, his gospel ministry was for God and for the Corinthians, but it was not for himself. This was not about him becoming popular. This was not about him getting rich. This was not about him getting a lot of followers. This was not about him making it in Corinth. So Paul's defense here, and and I know those verses are a little challenging. His defense is the sincerity of his heart. It is the selflessness of his heart. He's like, you know my heart. So, if the Corinthians ought to boast in their weak apostle, in their poor apostle, in their suffering apostle, in this guy who's not that impressive, why do we find weakness and imperfection and suffering a reason not to share the gospel? And that's what we do. We're like, well, I'm not that well-spoken. Or, or, or what if they don't like me? Or what if I come off as, 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 as crazy or as, or, as, or, or as weak? If we don't plead with sinners because we might be revealed as weak or because we might suffer or because we might be ashamed, we've already succumbed to the deceit of the super apostles who promoted personality and strength that promised approval and, 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 and being liked, right? That's, that's, that's what the super apostles, they, they set themselves up and saying, look at us, we're approved of, we are making money off of this, we're successful, we're well-spoken, we have all the currency of Corinth. Is that what's stopping you from sharing the gospel? Is that what's stopping you from pleading with sinners to be repentant? Is because you're not a super apostle? Because you're just you? That's who God saves is just you's and me's. Right? That's who God uses. That's who God sent as apostles. Weak people. Suffering people. Saints, there is in you 
Right? If you are united with Christ, there is within you the compassion for Christ, those who don't know him. Right? You love them. I know that you want them to know Christ. Your motives in meeting them and building a friendship with them, and your, your motives in sharing the gospel with them, I think for almost all of us, are, 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 are sincere motives. These are motives of integrity. Right? These are Pauline motives. It's for God and for you. This, this, this isn't about me. This, is, this isn't about you getting a, a merit evangelism badge. It's not about you trying to get rich off your neighbors. It's why you want to build a friendship with them and share the gospel with them. You're not trying to, 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 get, to get applause for, for bringing someone you know to church. You're not using secret, underhanded means. So we can't let this fear of, of, of wrong motives stop us from boldly proclaiming, right? We're kind of been, been, been backed into a corner by culture saying, well, they, they want something from me, so they shouldn't share the gospel with, 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 with me. No, our motives are sincere, right? Like Paul's. So don't not share the gospel because you're not a super apostle because that's falling into this false teaching that Corinth, well, it was ruining that church. You're not super apostles. There are no super apostles. God uses people like you and me to plead with sinners for repentance. You probably don't need to learn the gospel anymore to go and plead with your neighbors for repentance. You just need to plead with them to be reconciled to God. Now, learning's great, but don't wait. We can't let that fear of being out of our minds stop us. So that is the uh, second reason. The second reason we should plead is because our hearts are, are sincere. And that's why he's saying, I'm not going to stop. Okay, second or third. We plead because Christ's love liberates us from living, living for self. Christ's love liberates us from living for self. It frees us from living for ourselves. Christ's love of you, the fact that he loves you, frees you from living for yourself. We are here for a whole other purpose. We see this in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15. So regardless of how Paul was interpreted, whether by his opponents as crazy, by the saints as, as sacrificial, his life was not about him. 2 Corinthians 4, verses, I mean 5, verses 14 and 15 explains why. For the love of Christ, Christ's love for me, controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. The Christian's life has a new controlling principle. It, there's, there's a new operating system. It's Christ's love for them. Why do you plead with sinners? Because Christ loves you. Christ displayed his love through his substitutionary death. One has died for all. So when the believer is united to Christ through faith, they experience the reality of Jesus' death as their death and their place to take their punishment. Their life has ended, right? They are, in a sense, of borrowed time, except it's not borrowed, it is resurrected time. It is Christ's own eternal life. Their life, life A is done, life B begins, it is their forever life in Christ. Because we've concluded this, the one has died for all, therefore all have died. The penalty of death has been paid. Those unified with Christ live no longer uh, for themselves, but they live in his resurrected life. Verse 15, he died for all. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him 
who for their sake died and was raised. So Paul is saying this as explaining why he does his ministry. And this is why we need to plead with sinners to be reconciled to God. Because Christ loves us. Because our life is over and we have a new life. And that life is not for us. Because if it was for us, we wouldn't be pleading with sinners to be reconciled to God because it's uncomfortable. Right? We have a new life with a new purpose. We live for Jesus Jesus' death in our place frees us from the love of self to live for Jesus who died and rose for our sake. We don't die with Christ without living for Christ. Right? We don't die with Christ, which is what happens when, when he died. We died with him. But that means we get his resurrection life. That means we live with Christ. That means our lives are no longer our lives. They are his life. That is radically different. You leave today to live Christ's life in you. It is not your life. In a sense, and I say, there's no more me time. It's Christ's time. Those who are alive in Christ have a new because. And our new because is because Jesus loves me. Right? Because Jesus loves me. Because Jesus loves me, I live for Jesus. So just as certainly as we've been freed from the power and penalty of sin by Jesus' death, we are empowered to live in obedience to Jesus because we've been unified to Jesus. Jesus didn't love you only to rescue you. He loved you to change you. So if you are loved by Jesus, live for Jesus' sake. How would Jesus love your neighbor? Do my neighbors know, and I'm, I say this cautiously, Jesus lives next door? Right? Because Jesus lives in me. This life is no longer my life. It is his life. Do my neighbors know that Jesus lives next door, living in me? Do your neighbors know the love of Jesus? Do your neighbors know the love of Jesus compelling you to love them, to welcome them, to open your doors to them, to listen to them, to plead with them to be reconciled to God. Our me time has ended with the death of Christ. Our new life in Christ is the one lived by Christ. Having been loved by Christ, we are freed to love others. So, if this is going to happen, Paul says, beginning of 14, for the love of Christ controls us. How is the love of Christ going to control you? How today is the love of Christ going to control you? You're going to have to think about the gospel, right? You're going to have to think about the gospel. And you're going to have to say, God, this, this, your Jesus' love for me is supposed to be compelling me. It's supposed to be pushing me out. It's supposed to be controlling me. But I'm not feeling it. And Pastor Joshua talked about, you know, those, those, those heart pumper things that, that give the shock. You know, we need, to, we need to pray for God to restart our heart again. To say, I knew there was one time where I was, I, I was pushed out by the love of Christ for me. Lord, please, may that love of Christ get this heart beating again. Tell God you want to be controlled by the love of Jesus so that you embrace this new culture of pleasing, pleading him and pleading with sinners. The uh, fourth reason, we plead because we've been, we have abandoned worldly misconceptions 
of success. We plead because we've abandoned, we've left behind, we've turned our back on worldly misconceptions of, of success. If you want to stick to what, if you have this idea, if we have this idea, that being a successful pleading with sinners to repent, to be reconciled to God, means, means if no one responds, then I'm going to stop. We have to turn away from that. We have to abandon worldly misconceptions uh, of success. The recipients of new life in Christ must leave behind old ways of thinking. This is where Paul goes. Verse 16, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. That's really interesting. He goes there. He says we're new creatures in Christ. The love of Christ is controlling. So from now on, we don't regard anyone according to the flesh. We don't look at people the old way. So Paul's attention here turns to how the Corinthians were listening to the false teachers' old ways of thinking. The false apostles had these worldly ideas about success and power and wealth and suffering that would lead to Paul being viewed as opposed by God, right? If, 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 if we have those old ways of thinking, we're going to see ourselves as opposed by God. But that's evaluating according to the flesh. Those are old ways of thinking about life. Paul says, we regard no one according to the flesh. I don't want you to think about me that way. I'm not going to think about other people that way. That's, that's old ways. For though, verse, the second half of verse 16, we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So Paul was no stranger to these worldly ideas of what success was. Paul had once been scandalized by the thought of a crucified, suffering, shamed, weak Messiah. His evaluation had been according to the flesh. I used to think about Jesus according to this way of thinking. That's a, that's a, it's a product of human thinking. According to human thinking, Jesus was a failure. He was a king without a kingdom. But that's seen with old eyes. God has given new creatures new eyes. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. A new creation can't evaluate according to the flesh. Now, that was, that's, that's true when, when, when we evaluate Jesus. We can't uh, uh, think about him in the old way of thinking. It's true of when we, when we evaluate Christ's apostles. We can't think about the old way of thinking. But, so we would be horrified to, to go back, you know, I'm going to start thinking about Jesus like I did before I became a Christian. Right? You'd be like, no, never. Well, then why do we evaluate ourselves as Christ's disciples by that old way of thinking? Right? We pull back from pleading with sinners to be reconciled to God because it's not successful. Because we might be embarrassed. Because we might come off as weak. Because we might be come compelling. Because it's not culturally acceptable. So we pull back into old ways of thinking. According to the flesh thinking, it's according to the flesh thinking to think we failed if the gospel is rejected. That's according to the flesh thinking. It's according to the flesh thinking if we think we failed if we are dismissed, or failed if we suffer, or failed if we're scorned, or failed if we aren't comfortable. That's that old way of thinking. 
A new creation must embrace new ways of thinking, of, 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 of evaluating what success is. The old has gone, gone, the new has come. And so success in Christ is being treated like Christ, being in him, a new creation, living for Christ. In the old world order, we're living for Christ in, 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 in this old world that's opposed to Christ. So what is this new way of thinking? It's being a new creation in Christ, being treated as Christ in this world. So we can't revert to old ways of thinking. We wouldn't go back and view Christ again as a gentleman, a good teacher, a failed king, a body in a tomb. We would never go back to the old way of thinking. We wouldn't go back and, and criticize Paul. Well, you know, he sure does get beat up a lot. He's, he's so, he's, he, he, he could be rich off this, but he doesn't take any money. He acts like he knows it all. We wouldn't critique Christ on those old way of thinkings. We wouldn't critique Paul or any of the apostles. So why should we listen to that old way of thinking, those old critiques, when we attempt to persuade people to be reconciled to God? Right? We judge ourselves by the old way of thinking, by old ideas of what success is, of what's important. No, what's important is that sinner is going to spend eternity apart from God if they're not reconciled to God. That is what is important. What's important is not really what they think of you. That's old ways of thinking. If what's important was how people thought of us, Jesus wouldn't have been crucified. But that's not what's important. Paul wouldn't have ministered if what's important is what people think of him. Those are the old ways of thinking. We, we often think that these verses are about our, our sanctification. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. And that's true. But if you follow the, the thoughts here, it is about not seeing the way that the world sees anymore, but seeing things Christ's way. So, saints, Christ values you being completely different from this world. And that's going to be not approved of and not, and not being su 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 successful sometimes as you share the gospel with them, not being liked, not being followed, all the things that our world is in love with. Here's the fifth reason. We plead because God is a reconciling God. We plead because God is a reconciling God. Verse, verse, verse 18 says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. All this, the making of a new creation in Christ, us being new, is from God. It's not from man. Reconciliation, the establishment of, of, of this relationship between God and man, this, the end, end of hostility, the end of this war, did not originate in man's imagination. It's not achieved by men. We, we, we don't try to do this by like, whoa, oh, uh, well, I see God there and I need to make my right with him. We, we, we can't do this. We can't try to pacify him. We can't try to placate him. The gospel is God's work. It is his work unilaterally, one-sided, reconciling sinners to himself. He is the designer of this work. He is the orchestrator of this work. He is the accomplisher of this work of reconciliation. God is the active party. 
He is the one who reconciles his enemies to himself. He is the one who sends his son into the world to save sinners. We are commanded to be reconciled to God. That is passive. God reconciles. We are commanded to be reconciled. The verb, though, he, uh, the be reconciled is passive. It, 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 is, it is like being commanded to receive a gift. Receive reconciliation. You don't have to do anything to get this. You come to God believing. Be reconciled to God. We receive this. This reconciliation is accomplished by God. The reconciled are no longer at war with God. They never will be again. God just doesn't keep the calm. He just doesn't kind of settle things down. He doesn't enforce a truce. No, God removes the source of our conflict with God, our, our disobedience, and he declares us righteous. God brings us into his family. He just doesn't pronounce us righteous. He brings us into his family. He adopts us. We eat at his table. He creates us new in Christ with new hearts to know him and to love him and to obey him. He transforms us. And, and how does he do this? Through the preaching of the gospel. Verse 19. That is, it's like if Paul's saying, and you know the gospel. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of, of, of reconciliation. Our trespasses were counted to Christ's account rather than our own. Our sins were marked against him. He had an A-plus record of obedience. Perfect. And all of our Fs were placed upon him. All of our disobedience. Christ was punished in our place so that our trespasses would not be counted against us. The only way a just God can reconcile us with sinners is if God chooses to pay their punishment with Christ's blood. Verse 21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our rebellion was given to Christ so that we could be given Christ's righteousness. The sinless Savior suffered for our sin so that we could become his righteousness. Brothers and sisters, that is what God is doing in the world now. He is still reconciling sinners to himself. His reconciliation work is not finished. Today in this world, undoubtedly, he is going to reconcile sinners to himself. And what's amazing is it could be someone that you know. It could be you pleading with them today to be reconciled to God. Because that is what God is doing in this world. We, 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 we plead with sinners because God is a reconciling God. And we also plead, last sixth, because God has given us this ministry of reconciliation. God has given us this ministry of reconciliation. Verse 18, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry uh, of reconciliation. The ones who've been reconciled to God are gifted a service for others from God. This ministry, the service of reconciliation. Now, now, specifically, that's the apostles. But I don't think that it is limited there. And it's very difficult to, to, to see exactly who he means. Because we just look at in, in the verse, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Do we say, oh, that's only the apostles. That's just Paul. Just Paul and Timothy. No, we say, who reconciled us to himself. I want to be that. And gave us, oh, that's also me the ministry of reconciliation. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation by God. I know that because we're called to make disciples. 
And that disciple-making happens through the message of reconciliation. At the very least, and you may not be full-time involved in this ministry of reconciliation, although I think many of you are stay-at-home moms. That's a full-time ministry of reconciliation, not just between your kids fighting with one another, but because you want to see those sinners reconciled to God. Dads, it's what we want is for our kids to be reconciled to God. You in your workplace, you want to see those people reconciled to God. In our neighborhood, we want to see them reconciled to God. We are all making disciples. We are called to this ministry of reconciliation in the circle of relationships that God has given us. Verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. You've been entrusted. You've been given something valuable. You're like a bank, and he's given that message to you, but it's not just to stay with you. right? You're, 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 you're to dispense from the bank vault of your heart that message of reconciliation to others. The gospel is the only means we have of making disciples. And God's plan is that we do it through the foolishness of preaching. We do it through a culturally inappropriate means. We're going to look like failures. We're going to look crazy. We're going to be embarrassed at times. We're going to go and we're going to do something that is not acceptable. It's not welcomed. It's not asked for. But it needs to happen. Now, sometimes by God's grace, it is welcomed. But more often than not, it's not. And that relationship does get awkward afterwards. Because you just told them that they're God's enemies. But you've also given them the hope that they can be reconciled to God. Paul says, therefore, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And that's what we as ambassadors do. We implore, we beg, we plead, be reconciled to God. We see what that message is in verse 21. Our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is the hope we hold out. He made you an ambassador of Christ. You know, the winning side doesn't send out ambassadors. right? It's the losing side that sends out ambassadors. The winning side is victorious. They sit in their kingdom, in their palace, waiting for ambassadors to come to them, suing for peace, right? Please, can we have peace with you? We're, 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 we're going to tithe so much. That's not how God works, right? God is so gracious, is that he makes reconciliation possible. And then he sends out ambassadors to proclaim that, to take, go to his enemies who are still at war, still trying to dethrone God, and say, be reconciled to God. That's God making his appeal through you. Be reconciled to God. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. This is how we reconcile, we are used reconciling sinners to God through that message. If you haven't been pleading with sinners, why not? We're the only ones who have this message of reconciliation. We are his ambassadors. You've been entrusted with it. I'm thinking that maybe 
for some of us. It's time to give up our dreams of being super apostles, right? I'll go when I've got a really clear, you know, when, when I've got the gospel nailed down, right? When, when, when I can answer all of their questions, then I'll go. Well, if I knew that they would receive me and welcome me and say thank you afterward and there'd be no awkwardness and I could still go to the house and watch football games, well, then I'll go. If I knew that I'd be approved, I would go. If I knew that I'd be successful doing it, I would go. Right? Wrong. We're not to be controlled by dreams of being amazing, being liked, being Christian influencers. We're supposed to be controlled by the love of Christ. So I think that we have some heart work to do. We're new creatures in Christ. We see people in a whole new way. We see gospel ministry in a new way. We value new things. That's what this gospel culture is going to do. You know that you'll get it if you're pleading with sinners to be reconciled to God. Let's pray. And Father, I thank you uh, for this book of Second Corinthians. It's a, it's a painful letter to read from Paul where he has to defend himself so that people don't leave the gospel. Father, I think that there's so much to instruct us about the way we do gospel ministry and the why we do gospel ministry. I pray, Father, that you would help us to stop making excuses, really buying into the world's way of thinking about what's appropriate, about what's necessary, about success, about approval, about what's welcomed. Yes, Lord, we want to be gentle. We want to be compassionate. But we want to live Christ's life. We don't want to care any more than Christ would about man's approval. Father, there's something so much more valuable. We pray, Lord, you would help us to understand this message of reconciliation enough that we would plead with, plead with sinners to be reconciled to God. In Jesus' name, amen.